In about a month, many religious people will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ at Easter. They'll take that time of the year and for them they will remember the Lord's resurrection that beautiful first day of the week. But yet those of us who are true Christians celebrate this every first day of the week. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 26, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You and I, as we partake of that great feast, remember the Lord's death, his burial, but we also remember his rising from the dead. According to Acts 20 and verse 7, they did that on the first day of the week. And you and I remember that great event. For the past couple of weeks, we studied the agony of the Lord at his arrest and trials. We talked about the crucifixion last Sunday evening and all the agony and the pain that was associated with it. I kept thinking and trying to prepare for tonight what Paul Harvey used to say is he would tell something that was very valuable and something very interesting and he says and now for the rest of the story. So what we have to do is complete it. We don't want to leave the Lord having been crucified in a tomb in Jerusalem. We want to see what the Lord did. So we're going to talk about tonight the proof of the resurrection. It did happen. We want to talk about the preaching of the resurrection, what the apostles did. And really that's where we're going to focus the majority of our attention. And then finally the power of that great resurrection. Let's begin first of all in talking about the proof of it. When you start thinking about Jesus and about the resurrection, several times he announced I will be raised again. Notice with me, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Notice now, the, the Lord said that's going to happen. You go to chapter 17, verse 23, and he says... And they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. Or chapter 26 and verse 32, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. The Lord repeatedly, and these are not the only instances, repeatedly told them, I'm going to die, but I am going to be raised up again. When I get to the book of Romans, and I listen to the Apostle Paul talk about his message to them, He emphasizes concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you will notice, verse 4, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
That proof that he was the Son of God was in the fact that God raised him from the dead. But you know, the Lord's saying this, and they're anticipating it, meant that the Jews did not want any kind of question about Jesus and his death. One of the passages that's really interesting begins in Matthew 27, and you back up to verse 60, if you will, because after Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus, he placed it in his own tomb, a new tomb, which was hewn out of the rock. Now notice the middle part of verse 60. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. We're not talking about some of those that may have a small stone. You need to visualize in your mind a large stone being placed in front of this tomb. Then beginning with verse 64, it says with regards to the approach to Pilate, therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come at night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, Make it as secure as you can, or know how. So they went away and made the tomb secure, sealing it with the, and sealing the stone and setting the guard. There's no doubt that these people did not want there to be a message that Jesus rose from the dead. So they had a guard stationed there. They had this large stone sealed. You see, when you start thinking about the proof, you have to think about all that was done to prepare. I don't understand then how some, even members of the body of Christ, could ever doubt the resurrection. And yet when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12, he said, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? How did you get to that Idea. Where did you get all of that? Well, let me tell you why Paul considered that to be so irrational. It's because there was prophecy. Old Testament prophecy. Luke 24, verse 22 through 27. It says they, these women of the company arrived. And it says they came and they said they had seen the vision of the angels who said that he was alive, verse 23. So they found certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to it of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Notice the prophets have spoken about this. You should have known. But there were also personal eyewitnesses. That is, people who after Jesus had died, had been put in that tomb for three days and rose again, saw him alive. John chapter 20, verse 19, verse 26. First verse 19, it says, The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, I want you to imagine that event. 
Here's the Lord appearing. He's told them he was going to rise from the dead, and yet it still is scary and remarkable to them. But you drop down to verse 26, and after eight days the disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. So now you have ten of the apostles in verse 19. Now you have eleven of them. Judas is dead. And Jesus appears in their midst. What I find interesting is when you start reading the book of Acts, and you start reading about the witness that the apostles give, Chapter 1, verse 22, he talks about that he must become a witness with us of the resurrection to be qualified to be an apostle. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up of which we are witnesses. Chapter 2, verse 32. Chapter 3, verse 15, and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Chapter 4, verse 33, with great power the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Chapter 5, verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit. The writers, particularly James and John and Peter, keep reminding them God raised Jesus from the dead. And we're witnesses of it. We've seen it. The passage to me that is really the clincher It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 3, because Paul, he talks about the gospel message that he had delivered, how that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now listen to verse 5. That he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, it was seen by over 500 brethren at once. 500 people at one time. You know, you look at a crowd like this here, this would be sufficient, but you've got 500 people. And then, of course, Paul includes himself in that number. So the proof is there. Well, if the proof is there, then you need to preach that message. If this is something so important, you and I need to make sure that we give this message of Jesus raising from the dead Now, in order to do that, you've got to know the details. And I want to encourage you to turn with me now. You may have just skimmed through these others. Let's read Luke 24, verses 1 through 9, and see how that Luke records these details. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold two men stood by them in shining apparel in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? 
And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. You see, there's a message in all of this. This is what happened. That's what gets preached. Now, when that is preached and that is taught, if someone says that didn't happen, then what you have is people who are denying the very witness of the apostles. They're calling them liars. They're saying these men made it up. Now let me ask you a question. Why would these men put their life at risk? Why would they be willing to die for a lie? Oh, but they were willing, and it wasn't a lie. But not only that, a person who denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ cuts himself off from any hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 12, Now if Christ is preached among you that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised, that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise and Christ is not risen and if, you, if Christ is not risen then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Paul said you look at it and you've got to realize that when you say there's not a resurrection of the dead and you say Jesus didn't rise, you don't have any hope. None whatsoever. That you are just like a dog. You're dead all over and no hope for anything. But you see, I can see Peter preaching a powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. He's going to have a lot of things to say, but just focus with me for just a minute on a few of these verses here, beginning with verse 23. He says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you by lawless hands have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, that it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter starts off his sermon by saying, God planned this. He planned his death. He planned the pain that was a part of it. But he also planned the resurrection, not for him to stay in that grave. He goes back and he uses prophecy and he talks about David. He said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken and then verse 27, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. David said, You have made me know the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Then he turns to them, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried. His tomb is with us today. David's not talking about himself. David has reference to the coming of Christ. He says, 
He talked about the fruit of his body according to his flesh, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted at the right hand of God, having received the promise from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out that which you now see and hear. And he tells them in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When he raised him from the dead, he proved to you that he's a son. When you preach the resurrection, you have to preach what happened. You also have to preach what it means. What it means is that you and I have a living hope. We have some confidence. Just like 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, He's the first fruits. He's the first one who rose from the dead to die no more. Which leads me to the third part of the lesson, and that is the power of it. Why do we need to preach the resurrection? Well, obviously because it tells us that Jesus is the Christ. Why do we need to preach the resurrection? Because it tells us that you and I also will be raised. Why a resurrection? Because you and I need to be prepared for that eternal home. Listen to Paul as he speaks in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 53. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That thought in and of itself is just so powerful. This physical body that I'm in, the physical body that you are in, is not suitable for the eternal realms. He goes on to say, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. He goes on to say, that's when you're going to say death is swallowed up in victory. Victory. That's when we win over death. Just like Jesus won over the tomb when he came out and proved that he was the Son of God, you and I, when we come out of those graves, win over death. I know that's a difficult thought to grasp. You know, sometimes ideas bounce around inside of my head and I think about them and I... Uh, contemplate them and meditate upon them. What will it be like? What will we look like? I don't know. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. Let that sink in just a moment. 
We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him even as He is. When Jesus descends, I thought about the song that we sang just a few moments ago, that people beheld that journey to the skies. When He returns again in His glorified state, that's what kind of state you and I will enjoy. There's a great day coming. A great day coming but it will also be a sad day as well. In John 5, verses 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves or all in the tomb shall hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, I want to sort of bring it all to a full closure here. When you and I are converted, we go through that same process that was involved in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul masterfully takes this and just portrays it before us in Romans chapter 6 beginning with verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of his life. You see, the, the fact that you and I are buried in water, that's the same symbolism as Jesus buried in that tomb. But that's not where Jesus stayed. It says that he rose from the dead. You and I are raised to walk in a new type of life. Verse 5, for we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer live as slaves of sin. Very simply stated in Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, it took a miracle to take a dead man and raise him back to life. It takes the miracle of the bloodshed of Jesus to take a man who is a sinner and put him under water and you raise him up and now God has forgiven those sins. The confidence of our forgiveness of sins is wrapped up in the resurrection. I want to focus again for just a moment on verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. When Paul says, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You see, folks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most cardinal, important, stellar doctrines of the New Testament. Because it provides for us the reassurance that our sins are forgiven. And so we ask, are you ready for the resurrection? If you'll get your songbooks out now. I know that many of you are already Christians. You're striving daily to walk with the Lord and do the right thing. God bless you for that. However, I recognize that there's some of us may not be walking with the Lord. 
we may be bringing shame upon him. And the, the suffering that he went through is almost for nothing because we've turned our back on him. Yes, you can be sitting in the pew and recognize that you've not been living right. I want to beg you tonight to correct whatever's wrong in your life. Let's pray together about that. We also recognize that some of us have not gone through the process. That death to sin, the burial in water, to raise, to walk in newness of life. If you've not yet been baptized for the remission of your sins, we beg you tonight to do that. All together we stand and sing.